0: Good morning, brothers and sisters, friends, and family. Thank you for joining us on this beautiful Sunday morning. My name is Trevor, and uh, we are this morning going to kick off a new two week series or reflection on both silence and solitude. Now, as a church, I hope that if you only know one thing about us, you know that it is our greatest desire. ...that you would come into relationship with Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the resurrected one. Jesus came and he lived a perfect life. He died a sinless death. He was buried in the tomb and on the third day he rose again... ...so that all who would put their faith and trust in him would be granted the gift of eternal life of salvation, would be made new, would be set free from the things that enslave us. New life is available in Christ. And one of the things that we recognize is that for many people, Christian faith is merely an intellectual assent to a bunch of truthful statements. I just made some of them. And it's not uncommon for people to believe that to be a Christian is to agree with everything that I have just said. And at the exact same time, as people who have received God's Spirit, who are in relationship with God's Son, who have been made new, who have been, as we sang about earlier, saved, we must become people who live with Christ not only as our Savior, but also as our King and our Lord. And part of the way that we do this is through the practice of spiritual disciplines. In other words, we do not want to be Christians who merely have a faith that is only knowledge. We want that knowledge... To transform our lives that people might say about us that to be Christians is to be little imitators of Christ himself. And we just finished two weeks, or sorry, three weeks. We just did a three-week series on Doubt. And so if you're here because of that series or you are listening carefully to that series, I want to also let you know that as a church, we want to be a community that pursues faith but has open arms of welcome to all who struggle with doubt. If you doubt, you are welcome here for God commands us that we would be a merciful community to those who doubt. But it is our hope that if you are someone who identifies with doubt more than faith, that you would not just be welcome here, but that you would be introduced, most importantly, to the person of Jesus, be transformed by him, and that you might follow him living a brand new life. So we begin two weeks now on some disciplines, disciplines that we desperately need, disciplines that we want to consider how to put into practice so that we might be more like Jesus, so that we might be more truly and fully human, spiritual disciplines. I was reading recently about Nicholas Allen. Nicholas Allen works for Quiet Parks International, a nonprofit based here in Los Angeles, a nonprofit that is committed to saving quiet for the benefit of all life. Their purpose as an organization is to identify places around the world that remain free from human made noise for at least brief pockets of time. And they make the case that. As humanity has grown louder, those places are in danger of extinction, even though they are integral to our well-being and to the health of the natural world. I don't think it's any sort of overstatement to say that our world has gotten noisier and busier and more chaotic and louder, we find ourselves surrounded by noise constantly from traffic horns and road noise to people yelling at each other either in person or online to our phones constantly sending out noise that we can hear by way of videos or apps or games or notifications to people that we see ourselves surrounded with. A lot of people said, you know, that when, you, when we moved into quarantine, right, that was an opportunity to move into quiet. Well, maybe if you lived alone, that might be the case. But for many of us, we just moved into chaotic environments around the people who we love a lot, but discovered that they, too, have the ability to test our patience. All of the sounds that we experience in the world... Are common and intrusive, and if they are persistent, the amount of noise that we face regularly is bad for our long-term health. Research has shown that if you live near a busy road, you are more likely to develop high cortisol levels. You're more likely to suffer from hypertension and heart disease, to become overweight. In a 2012 study, it was estimated that up to 40 million adults in the United States suffer from hearing impairment related to excessive noise exposure. The World Health Organization considers noise, quote, one of the most important environmental risks to human health. A 2018 report warned that 1.6 million years of life are lost in Western Europe alone as a result of exposure to noise which can contribute to other threatening health conditions, a lack of focus, sleep disturbance, and a creeping reduction in quality of life. Noise is everywhere. I mean, you can hear it now. The giant buzz of an air conditioning system that is here designed to air condition rooms that nobody is in. Airplanes that fly over our heads, road traffic as cars drive by and honk. Noise is everywhere. And sometimes the noise, if we're honest, is just self-inflicted. I was recently in Louisville, Kentucky, and I landed late in Louisville, and I checked into my hotel room, and the first thing I did after setting my bags down was something that maybe you do, but if I'm the only one who does this, then I'll feel a little crazy, but the first thing I did after putting my bags down was look for the remote control. I turned on ESPN, which then became my guide and the background noise for most of my time that I was in the room. I even found myself in the morning reading my Bible with Stephen A. Smith yelling about the warriors in the background and wondering about myself whether or not I and more comfortable with noise than silence. We have loud homes. We live in a busy city. We find ways to inject noise into our lives, sometimes because we are afraid of what we might find in the silence. Do you remember boredom? Any of you remember boredom? what it was like to be bored, what it was like to not have anything to do and nothing to listen to. Do you remember quiet, when you would have seasons of quiet? A Microsoft study said that 77% of young adults reach for their phones the moment they are bored. And that number only increases when you include sadness, anger, frustration. We reach for noise, the moment we experience any quiet, another podcast, another video to watch, another game to play, another email to send, another story to post, another tweet to tweet, another article to read, another product to buy, and it goes on and on and on And on. And my fear, brothers and sisters, and friends and neighbors, is that hearing God has gotten more difficult. Not because God is not speaking, but because we are overloaded with noise. And so, this morning, for a few moments together, I want to talk about what it looks like to inject silence into our noisy world to grow more like Christ by pursuing the quiet. Let me ask you a question. Reflect on this for a moment. Does all of the noise in your life make it difficult to hear from God? Do you find yourself overwhelmed? Without direction? Do you Do you sense a lack of peace? Maybe feelings of despair? Maybe you desperately need some silence. If you have a Bible, I invite you to open up to 1 Kings chapter 19. We're going to be in the Old Testament this morning. 1 Kings chapter 19. While you are turning there, let me give you a definition of silence. Because when I want to talk about spiritual disciplines and spiritual practices, and I want to talk about silence, I want us to be clear about what my definition is. So here's how I'm going to define silence this morning for those of you who are taking notes. When I say you need silence, here's what I think you mean. Here's what I mean. Here's what I think you need. By silence, what I mean is the temporary abstention from noisy distractions for biblical spiritual growth. I'll say that again because it was a bit much if you're taking notes. Silence here is the temporary abstention from noisy distractions for biblical spiritual growth. Now, why do I define it this way? Well, first, I want to define it as temporary, and that is only because I want to make clear that the Bible is clear that we must sometimes communicate. We must preach. We must proclaim. We must shout to the Lord the scriptures teach, and so I am not in any way suggesting that you begin to take a vow of silence. This is temporary, and it is balanced by our desperate need as people who know Jesus to communicate, to proclaim, to preach, to pray. It is, it is it's tempered by, this. it balances out our need to communicate, so it's temporary. Secondly, it's from noisy distractions. And here by noisy distractions, I mean both the external noises that we surround ourselves with, but also the internal chatter in our own minds that is perpetually running that pulls us away from God. You can take a quiet walk and be stewing on your own anxiety for 20 minutes, having never actually experienced the kind of quiet and silence I'm talking about. So noisy distractions, external and internal, that pull us away from God. And then four biblical spiritual goals. Here I want to be clear that I don't mean you need silence just for self-improvement. And I'm not certainly talking just about mindfulness, which, again, television, apps, every day, mindfulness is so sexy right now. I think in part because it is rooted in a Buddhist tradition and Buddhism is so hot and Christianity is so not. So we'll accept mindfulness as a good discipline and practice, a kind of meditation, but I'm not talking about that So much as I am talking about not about emptying oneself and being present just for the sake of it, I'm talking about a kind of silence that leads towards Christ likeness as we pursue God, both biblically and spiritually. So that's my definition. And now if you have a Bible and you've hopefully had a chance to find 1 Kings chapter 19, we're going to look at a text that I think will help us see something about who God is and who we are that will be of great benefit to us. In 1 Kings chapter 19, we pick up on a story of a prophet, a prophet of God named Elijah. Elijah. And Elijah is a prophet of God. And Elijah, at the time of when he is doing his work, sits under a king of the northern kingdom of Israel named Ahab. Ahab is to be a king who rules under God, Yahweh. But Ahab has decided to marry a woman named Jezebel who does not worship Yahweh, but Jezebel instead worships the god Baal. And so you can sense that God's people are going to be frustrated that Ahab, the king, rather than turning to God, has married Jezebel, and she has turned Ahab over to the worship of Baal. And in 1 Kings chapter 18, right before our story begins, there's a big throwdown at Mount Carmel. Elijah, the prophet of Yahweh, the prophet of the Lord, he arrives on Mount Carmel with 450 prophets of Baal. So Baal has 450 prophets and it's just Elijah. And then here's this sort of altar and there's an offering put on the altar and there's a test between which God is real. And it has to do with consuming by fire this offering. And Baal does not consume it, even though the prophets are, Baal's prophets are praying and dancing and doing all kinds of weird things. And Elijah sort of wets it in order to prove that he doesn't have any tricks up his sleeve and that God is truly God. And then God consumes the offering, proving that he is truly God. And Elijah, the prophet, slays. 450 of Baal's prophets. It's a big story in which you are supposed to understand that Baal, false god, loses. Yahweh, the god of heaven and earth, the god of the Bible, is victorious. And we should all see that now Ahab is to turn and worship Yahweh, bringing Jezebel away from her false God, ball towards the worship of Yahweh. But instead, something else happens. And so we pick up our story in 1 Kings chapter 19. And it says this in verse 1 and 2. Now Ahab, the king, told Jezebel, his wife, everything that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Now, your expectation here is that Jezebel is going to say, well, that's clear that Baal is not real, not to be worshipped, not to be followed, that Yahweh is more powerful. But it says in verse 2, so Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah. Oh, this sounds good. What's she going to say to Elijah? The message is, may the gods, uh uh-oh, deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Jezebel's takeaway, Elijah, I'm going to kill you. And in case you had any wonder, if you go back in 1 Kings, you'll discover that Jezebel has killed other prophets before. So verse 3, Elijah was afraid, and he ran for his life. This man of courage, this prophet of courage, who was just vindicated at Mount Carmel, now knows that the queen is dead set on making sure that he is killed. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. Verse 4 while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush sat down under it and prayed that he might die. And his prayer is, I have had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. And then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. Elijah has got a tremendous amount of inner turmoil, a tremendous amount of chaos in his life. Jezebel the queen wants to kill him. He is sort of suicidal in a certain sense, right? He's he's sort of just saying, God, just take my life. She's going to come after me. She's going to kill me. I thought you'd be vindicated. I thought I'd be vindicated. I thought things were going to get easier and or better, and they don't. Verse 5, All at once, an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. Verse 6, he looked around. And there by Elijah's head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time, touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank strengthened by that food. Now, at this point, we don't know where Elijah's headed. We don't know where he's going, but we're about to find out. It says he traveled for 40 days and 40 nights. Your ears should always perk up when you hear 40 days and 40 nights. Until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night. Now, Horeb is known by another title in the Old Testament, Sinai. At Mount Carmel, there's a battle between Yahweh and Baal. Yahweh wins. Jezebel wants to kill him. Elijah is stressed out. He's fleeing. He's running for his life. And where is he going? He's going to a place where he knows God has shown up before. He's going to Sinai. Takes him 40 days, 40 nights to get there, but that's where he's headed. He gets to Sinai. Remember Sinai? It's the place God showed up. God showed up in fire. God showed up in power. God showed up. His presence was showed to Moses. When God showed up at Sinai, remember God's people were so terrified that they actually said to Moses, Moses, please let that not happen again. And you wonder, why is Elijah going, I'm going to go to Sinai? Because what he needs in the midst of chaos, in the midst of pursuit of his own death, what he wants and desires is the presence of God. And his mind goes, I'm going to Sinai. Verse 9, when the Lord, word of the Lord, came to him, what are you doing here at Sinai, Elijah? Verse 10, Elijah replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Now, just a little hint. Elijah's wrong about a lot of these feelings. Elijah the prophet is wrong. He's not really the only one left, but he feels like he is. Have you ever felt, have you ever had your feelings be irrational when you're frustrated? That's Elijah. Irrational. He's irrational. He's crying out. He's frustrated. He's irritated. He's like, I want to see the Lord Almighty. They're trying to kill me. Verse 11, it says, The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain. Which mountain? Sinai, the mountain of the Lord, in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. What does Elijah need? What does he want? The presence of the Lord. Where does he go? Sinai. Here he is. He's told, get ready. God is going to show up in fullness. And then it happens. Verse 11. A great and powerful wind tore through the mountains apart. They tore the mountains apart. They shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. So Elijah's waiting, and here comes this wind, which is, it's so powerful. It's shattering rocks. But the text says, God's not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake. A thunderous earthquake. The ground begins to shake. And it says, But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, and he must be thinking, oh, this is it, this is it, this is when God's going to show up. He's going to show up in the fire. He he wasn't in the earthquake, wasn't in the wind. It's got to be in the fire. With Moses, it was with fire. So he's expecting fire, and it says, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle, When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face, went out, and stood at the mouth of the cave. Why does God show up on Sinai to Elijah the prophet in a gentle whisper? The Hebrew term for gentle whisper is a little tricky to translate, so you may have heard it translated as still, small, voice. You may have heard it as thin, quiet voice. Here it's gentle whisper. Why? Well, you can read commentaries written over thousands of years, and you will almost always hear them come back to this idea, which is that there is a kind of Focus and attention that the quiet demands that Elijah desperately needs. In order for Elijah to hear from God, he needed silence, he needed focus, he needed to give his undivided attention to it. God wanted Elijah to know that sometimes his voice is not found in the chaos and the noise. And if you miss this, you are in danger of missing God. God wants Elijah to know that he does not usually work in a manner that is loud and impressive and dramatic, but that rather God's still. And small voice brings the word to the listening ear and heart. Yeah, there's a time for wind. There's a time for earthquakes. There's a time for fire. But most of the time, God speaks to people in tones of quiet persuasion and gentle love. In this day of excessive noise it is difficult for some people to understand that God rarely works by means of the dramatic and the colossal. Sure, sometimes God yells in our pain and in our suffering, but other times God wants our attention, our stillness, our ears Turned to him and tuned into him. Look for Elijah. Elijah's external world is noisy. Earthquake, wind, and fire. His internal world is noisy. He's on the run. Suicidal, depressed, chaotic, feels alone, irrational thoughts. His expectation is that God's going to meet him in the noise. But what Elijah needs in this moment is quiet. And it's what we need to. I wonder if our world is shaping us to be a people who can no longer hear because we don't take time to listen. And we don't take time to listen because the noise, the constant noise, keeps us numb. So I I just want to pull out briefly just three things about why you need quiet in your life and why my hope and prayer is that this week and then for the rest of your life, you will intentionally inject quiet into your life. Here are three reasons why quiet. First, quiet allows us to understand ourselves. Quiet allows us to understand ourselves. Psalm 4.4 says, Tremble and do not sin. When you are on your beds, search your hearts and be silent. Some of us, we don't really know what we need. And the reason we don't know what we need is because we are not quiet enough to pay attention to what we need. I know a guy who had a bad back problem who wasn't aware of his bad back problem until he took five minutes of quiet. Five minutes of quiet allowed him to go, I, I don't think my back feels right. And he went to the doctor and they said, yeah, you've got a bad back. You've had it for a long time. What 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 was the trigger? Did you trip on something? Did you stumble and fall? And he said, "No, I was just quiet for a few minutes." The Bible is full of moments that connect our needs and our need for rest and self-examination to quiet. In Mark 6, 31, Jesus' disciples are grieving. John the Baptist has been beheaded. They're about to feed 5,000. And Jesus recognizes that in the middle of exhaustion and grief, what they need was quiet. If you are always tired, always busy, if you don't even know how you actually feel, you're not even sure if you're tired, not even sure if you're busy, you don't even know because you're just so noisy, you may need quiet. Secondly, quiet allows us to hear God. Psalm 62.1 says, My soul waits in silence for God alone. From him comes my salvation. The psalmist says that in my silence I hear God. A few weeks ago, my family discovered that there's a website you can go to where you can play different frequencies of noises and that not everybody can hear those noises. And so they played this uh, frequency at 8,000 hertz And everyone in our family went, oh, man, that's terrible. And then they played this noise at 12,000 hertz. And all my kids were going, oh, man, that's terrible. And I was going, what are you talking about? And they're like, Dad, you can't hear that? And I went, no. I'm like, you're joking me, right? Like, they're like, this is so loud. It's so annoying. Make it stop. Now, I was delighted that I had discovered a noise that I was immune to, that they were annoyed by. This is a gift that you want to give any father, access to that kind of power. (laughs) But I was struck by this odd sensation that my children could all hear something I couldn't hear. And it turns out at about 12,000 hertz, when you're about 40 years old, you lose the ability to hear at that frequency anymore. And it can happen to you earlier if you have been exposed to a lot of noise pollution. I was struck by the idea that a lot of noise and a little bit of age has made it more difficult and impossible for me to hear something that my kids could hear very clearly. And it reminded me that for many of us, I think that as Christians, we have lost the ability to hear God's voice because of all of the noise. Some of you haven't heard God speak to you in a long time and part of the reason is because you have turned all the other noises in your life up. Some of you listen to too many podcasts, you binge too many shows, you read too many books, you spend time with too many people, you probably listen to, I know, too many sermons. Some of you even listen to your own voice so much, arguing with yourself or winning arguments in the shower, that you haven't in a long time quieted yourself enough to hear from God. Let me ask you this question. Does your schedule, your time and your day, does it look like someone who wants to hear God's voice? Quiet allows us to hear the voice of God. Some of you haven't heard from God in a long time because of your addiction to the noise. Third, quiet allows us to practice reverence. Habakkuk 2.20 says, But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all of us be silent. Let all of the earth be silent before him. Or Psalm 46 famously says, Be still. And know that I am God. Do you notice how we are willing to shush things up when something is important that we want to pay attention to arrives? It demonstrates a kind of respect. Shh, we say in the movie theater after our neighbor has spent too much time talking. I didn't pay all this money to come watch this 800th Marvel movie to be distracted by you. Shh. I'm trying to hear the instructions about how to do this important task. Shh. There's breaking news I want to hear. Who slapped who? When? Shh. Silence we ask for when we want to hear what we believe is important, and yet I'm going to press you a little bit. My fear is that some of you say you have a quiet time that could be described by any word other than quiet. You shouldn't call it a quiet time. You should call it a distracted time. I love your passion for wanting to hear God's word, but some of you are just like, it, it, listening to God's word through, through the Bible becomes like an interruption in your otherwise chaotic day. It's just a, it's a blip. It's a thing to check off your list of to-dos so you can get back to doing something that isn't good for your soul. Do you wish that God's voice would be louder in your life? Listen. You cannot read the New Testament without discovering that Jesus is regularly seeking silence. And let me just argue that if Jesus needs quiet, you do too. So, is there too much noise in your life? Do you discover that you are hungry for quiet, as terrifying as that might sound? Here's what I want you to do commit to finding a moment of quiet. Each day this week, it could be a minute or two minutes, five minutes, 20 minutes. Look, I'm just trying to make you aware that some of you desperately need this. And unless you make a decision today to commit to practicing it, you won't do it. Noise is too addicting. So make time to listen carefully, especially to God's word the primary way in which we hear God's voice is through his word. It never surprises me when a busy person with a closed Bible is complaining about how they have not heard from God. You cannot say that God is silent if your ears and your Bible are closed. The word of God is alive and active, it says. So I want to be clear That the goal of silence is not just to empty yourself, but to be filled with God's gentle word, his voice, his word. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said it better than I ever could, so let me read this quote. Bonhoeffer said, There is an indifferent or even negative attitude towards silence, which sees in it a disparagement of God's revelation in the word. This is the view which misinterprets silence as a ceremonial gesture, a mystical desire to get beyond the word. This is to miss the essential relationship of silence to the word. Silence is the simple stillness of the individual under the word of God. We are silent before hearing the word because our thoughts are already directed To the Word, like a child is quiet when he enters his father's room. We are silent after hearing the Word because the Word is still speaking and dwelling within us. We are silent at the beginning of the day because God should have the first Word. And we are silent before going to sleep because the last Word also belongs to God. We keep silence solely for the sake of the word and therefore not in order to show disregard for the word but to honor and receive it. So here's what I want to ask you to do. I want to ask you to practice silence, to get into the quiet, make room for it in your day, in your week, in your month, in your year let me just finish by recognizing something that's true that I know is here in the room, which is that for some of you, silence is so hard to deal with because you don't want silence. See, some of you are sitting here going, man, I need some silence and I haven't had it in a long time and I'm struggling to hear from God. Lord, meet me in that. Some of you are going, I don't want silence at all because some of us, are running from silence because we're running from the voice of God because we are afraid of what God might say to us. We are afraid of what God might point out in us. We are afraid of what feelings might bubble up to the surface. Some of you this morning are in chaos. You feel guilt and shame, sadness, grief, anxiety. And so you just press on, keeping the noise from having to listen to anything staying perpetually distracted because we're afraid of quiet. I think in the same way that kids are afraid of the dark, many adults are afraid of the quiet. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your soul. If you're not still, And if you're not quiet and if you're not making time to be in his presence, how can you expect to find the rest that you need? In Christ, you will find the forgiveness that you maybe have thought will not be offered to you, let me promise you, in Christ, God's forgiveness is offered to you. In Christ, God's cleansing is offered to you. In Christ, God's reminding is offered to you. In Christ, you get an identity that is stronger and more durable than one you would seek in your work, the one that you would seek in your leisure. In Christ, you would not get aimless wandering. In Christ, you get purpose and direction and meaning and healing. I know that it can be afraid to walk back into the presence of God when you are so afraid of what he might say to you. But let me promise you that we gather together on Sunday and point every week to the cross. Because the cross is the place where God says to us that the things that have caused us so much noise and distraction in our lives, the things that we are, have caused guilt and shame for us, have been painful. Paid for and dealt with by him on the cross so that we might have the peace of God. Elijah needed quiet. Jesus needed it too. So do you. Because he is still, Jesus is still speaking. And I want us as a church to be able to hear him over the noise. I think the question that stands before us, brothers and sisters, is will we make the adjustments to do so? I'm going to pray. And then as a gift to you, we're just going to take two minutes of silence. So let us pray. Father, We are addicted to noise, some out of fear, some out of laziness. Some because we are no longer sure how to be alone with ourselves. But we do not desire just to be alone with ourselves. We desire to be in your presence for you made us, you know us, you love us, you forgive us, you cleanse us. You see our sin, our wickedness, our rebellion, and you offer healing and cleansing and rest for our weary souls. So Lord, draw us into the discipline of silence that we might understand ourselves better, that we might hear your voice more clearly through your word, and that we might stand in awe and reverence and give you the awe and reverence that you deserve. Speak to us, O Lord. Meet us in the silence.